Welcome to the New Year, New York. This is the kickoff, the grand entrance, the first dance of 2024 for driving forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and we're thrilled to be diving headfirst into another year of hard-hitting discussions, cutting-edge analysis, and the unfiltered truth that you've come to expect from our show and from WBAI. So buckle up, because we're ready to steer this ship through the twists and turns of the political landscape, the policy debates, and everything that makes this city tick. And as we launch into the new year, we're not just reflecting on the past. We are setting the stage for what's to come. So we've got a a lineup, not just today, but in the coming weeks, a lineup of topics that will keep you on the edge of your seat and guests that bring the heat and do not hold back. It's a new year, but our commitment to delivering the stories that matter, the voices that need to be heard, remains unwavering. New York, you have got a front row seat to the pulse of this city on this show, and we are here to amplify it. So now let me introduce the yin to my yang, the code captain on this radio journey, none other than the indomitable Celeste Katz-Marson. Celeste is not just a co-host. She is a force to be reckoned with, a seasoned journalist, a political analyst, in my view, and a New Yorker through and through. So together, we are ready to unpack the issues and challenge the status quo. So without further ado, let us dive into the first chapter of 2024 with Driving Forces. Celeste, how are you? And of course, have you broken any of your resolutions yet? Well, I probably have. Well, first of all, I'm fine, Jeff. And and I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit, my, my mind is still reeling from that incredible introduction of yours. But I'm very happy to be here with you and with everybody here in the WBAI family. Happy New Year to everybody. And yeah, resolutions. I think that my big resolution is going to be to stress Less. I think that we have been going through this period of extreme stress and worry. I don't know, for me, probably at least going back to the pandemic, to the real sort of beginning of the pandemic. But I think it's just time to chill out. So I am not looking to break that resolution on this show, but it is pretty early. So we'll see how that goes, Jeff. (laughs) Early in the hour or early in the year? Both. So I have a similar result. I mean, I made a list. I'm very anal about this. You know, you always call me type A. I made my list of all the resolutions and I was watching on screen earlier this week. And I'm sure some folks listening might want to know these stats. I think it's like 9% of people who make their resolutions actually stick with them through the whole year. And I think it was 22% break them by the end of the first week and 43% break them by the end of the first month. So I'm hoping to be part of that 9% this year, Celeste. I have faith in you, Jeff. I have very deep faith in you. So, yeah, I mean, so look, we have a lot to talk about today. We were just looking a little bit earlier at the... uh Uh, at the headlines. First of all, there was just a train derailment. So 96th Street, the trains are all messed up. Hope everybody out there is okay. Getting to where they need to go, getting away from that bad situation. That's definitely not great. And of course, Jeff, you pointed this out a little bit earlier. And I think we're going to touch on this certainly in today's program, this whole new lawsuit that's being filed by the city of New York about this influx of migrants being sent here, not just sort of magically arriving, but being sent to New York by Texas, by the governor of Texas. And the, uh, you know, the, the city of New York is really pushing back on this, going to court to say, look, you can't do this. And it's very interesting, Jeff, because I think they're not just going after the, the government of Texas here. They're actually going after the transportation companies, if I understand Mm -hmm. this correctly. 
Yeah, I think it was what he's suing 17 bus companies over this, you know, that they basically hauled more than 33,000 migrants from Texas to the Big Apple. And basically, the mayor is saying they should be ponying up up $700 million that it costs the city to care for asylum seekers. It's just an amazing issue that's going to continue. We know this is not ending anytime soon, but it brings up a lot of issues here here in New York City that you and I have discussed with a lot of our guests and what we're going to discuss with our key guest uh, coming up in just a minute or two, which is about how the city has responded to this and how do we move ahead with creating enough, um, providing enough resources and space for people who arrive here if we have the obligation as a city to provide shelter versus being able to move ahead, forge ahead, actually, to to create enough affordable housing to meet the demand here in the city. And I know this is an issue on a state level as well, Celeste. Yeah, it, it certainly is, Jeff. And, and you know, I think th- these are all things that we're going to talk about with the guests, certainly. But you know, we did a program last week about uh, sort of the the year in review, right? And I think that certainly what we can say, even a, even a second into the new year, is that a lot of these issues are not going away. We are still going to have to deal with the migrant crisis. People are obviously still very much dealing in New York and in the United States and around the world with the. Um, you know, the Israel Hamas conflict are dealing with what's going on in Ukraine are thinking ahead to the election. So all of these things, I think, are, are going to be things that we're going to talk about throughout the year. And I'm very excited to do that because I think that one of the great strengths of this program is that we don't just read the headlines. We don't just do a little soundbite and move on with our lives. You know, we really take the time and, and to, you know, to think about these things and to discuss them with people who really know what's going on. And I hope very much that that is what driving forces listen really care about Jeff. Yeah, and there's been a lot of other news. We're going to get to it throughout the show. And during the second half of this show, folks, Celeste and I have kept that whole half hour open. Well, most of that, I think it's like 25 minutes, so that you can call in during that show and weigh in on the topics we're discussing today, but also what is on your mind. But we do want to hear from you about things such as the perception of crime in the city. And we're going to get to that later in the show, too, because there's new statistics out about certain crime levels, what's been up, what's going down. Um, but what I've also been watching closely is the mayor's, I'll say, prickliness recently with officials who are uh, on opposite sides of certain issues. And uh, he had a uh, a back and forth, we'll call it that, with the New York City public advocate Jumani Williams just in recent days over one of the measures that has been before the city council that is considered veto-proof. So no matter what the mayor does on this, and this is a measure that will require cops to report demographic information after low-level encounters with civilians, if the mayor even vetoes that, it's veto-proof because of a majority of council members who have supported it. And speaking of the council, a lot of this is inside baseball, but big decision yesterday, big change in the city council in leadership, a leadership position where the New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams had appointed Amanda Farias to be the majority leader replacing Keith Powers. That came as a surprise to a number of people there. Lots of that is inside baseball, but it could basically, if we read the tea leaves, and I know you do, Celeste, if we read the tea leaves, it could be positioning Amanda Farias to be a leading contender to be the next city council speaker. So we'll see what happens with that. So let us get 
right to our guest, our ga- main guest today, former Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, current New York City Council member representing the 6th Council District, Upper West Side, where I used to live, up to 108th Street, west of Broadway, a part of Clinton to West 54th Street, and all of Central Park. Gail chairs the Committee on Oversight and Investigations, and under her leadership, her committee has held oversight hearings on the costs of the migrant crisis, which we've been talking about, responses to climate emergencies, proliferation of unlicensed cannabis shops, operational challenges in family court, and maintaining the municipal workforce. She's also passed bills to prevent lithium-ion battery fires, an issue that we've talked about on this show as well, expanding the city's tree canopy and protecting hourly workers. With that, let's bring her on. Gail Brewer, welcome back to Driving Forces on BAI. Hi, Happy New Year. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for inviting me. It's very exciting. I love talking to both of you. Well, we wanted to start the new year off with you because you're always a pleasure to speak with. So I'm just going to start off with a question relating to something that uh, I just referred to a few moments ago about the change in leadership. But also at the same time, Adrian Adams was reelected, if I'm correct, or uh, it was a unanimous vote by all members of the city council to another term as the city council speaker. Why do you believe she deserved another term as speaker? doing this kind of work for a long time, and she's a very measured, very stable, very kind, compassionate, strategic and smart. She's, I, I, I joked when I said I vote for Adrian E. Adams and said she's normal, which many people in elected office are not. So I think she's a really good leader. She's just, you know, she's also a good manager. She comes out of the private sector originally. And she's a good manager. The staff likes her. It's a big staff, 500 people. So I feel that that's the, those are the reasons I would list. Councilmember Brewer, always great to have you here on the program, no matter what your title is. We've been doing this for a while, you, me, and Jeff. Glad to have you here. And, um, you know, just to start out with something really broad, we were talking a little bit before the program about thinking about how the city addresses issues of affordability. So, you know, wanted to ask you, you know, at this time, the city is facing, you know, really significant increases in the number of people being housed in shelters, uh, asylum seekers are coming into the city that need a place to say, wanted to see, uh, you know, what are your current thoughts on how the city should handle housing, particularly temporary housing versus permanent housing for people who are in need? Statistics for the asylum seekers are pretty astounding. Just um, as of the end of last year, just a few days ago, 164,500 asylum seekers have come through the city system. We have right now in the city system 68,300 asylum seekers, and the city has opened 214 sites, I think both health and hospitals and Department of Homeless Services. And then they have 18 humanitarian relief centers, which is uh, places like the Roosevelt Hotel where you come and get uh, to bring out what case management services you need. So the numbers are big. I think to answer your question, um, I obviously am really familiar also with the New Yorkers who need uh, housing. I would say a ton of supportive housing is needed, just a ton. The supportive housing is simply you are in a, a building, you have a permanent rent-stabilized uh, lease, but you have a social worker downstairs. And that's the kind of housing that actually is more needed than anything else when I talk to 
um, as I did last night, some of the uh, places where people come off the street, it's been about a year in a safe haven, and then where do they move? The second uh, issue is, to the credit of the city, we now have more people getting the vouchers, they're called SEPs, but they're basically a voucher similar to what a Section 8 voucher is. In other words, you pay 30% of your income, whatever that may be, and the rest is paid for by the city in a sense that the uh, city reimburses the owner. So that, too, is very helpful. Um, when talking to some of the Safe Haven directors last night, they said the SEPs, it helps, of course. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's an apartment available right now because it can't be a million-dollar apartment. It has to be something that fits within the guidelines of what the voucher is mandated for. Um, you know, but in terms of the migrants, you know, it's interesting to me. When I went the other night to the Rutgers Church, which is on 73rd Street, an amazing group of volunteer lawyers are there helping people fill out paperwork for asylum and working papers. I said, where, what shelters are these folks from? Gail, they're not from shelters. They've all found housing. Now, that could be in a basement. It could be a roommate. It could be whatever. But there were, I don't know, there were like, I would say, 25 individuals there or families getting help. So people do find uh, other alternatives. They're not necessarily legal housing. So the answer to your question really specifically is we do need, for everybody, 500,000 apartments. That's what we need in order to house those who are low income and those who just basically want to be in New York City. And if you, you know, you can almost do the math and know that if you've got, you know, in the shelter system, um, you know, 68,000 asylum seekers and then I know another 60,000 New Yorkers, you can see where the numbers are. They're just, and that is low-income housing. So the, the demand is huge. But supportive housing, to answer your question, is what is needed mostly for the New Yorkers. If you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking to New York City Council Member Gail Brewer. Uh, now, Council Member, you know, this is not really an abstract question for, for a lot of New Yorkers, including yourself. You have two shelters in your district. And if we're not mistaken, the Department of Homeless Services, uh, the city department, has identified uh, another site, which is the former Calhoun School, um, that could be set up as a facility to house asylum seekers. Wanted to hear what your thoughts and your concerns on that might be. We have a lot more. We have seven. Uh, we have uh, former dormitories. We have single room occupancies. And in this case, they're all families. So it's... Um, we have a lot of, and the good news in all of this oh, is that the Department of Education, you have to give credit where credit is due, and they have been phenomenal on uh, making sure that the young people and the students who come into their uh, schools are getting a good education. So I would say across the board, DOE has done a fabulous job. They meet the family when they come, they get the student enrolled, they make sure they're supportive services. And, of course, on the Upper West Side, being the Upper West Side, the parents of uh, New York students have organized to support these families along with JCC, uh, St. Paul and St. Andrew, like you can't imagine. I mean, it's, uh, it's something to behold. They even have, like I said, a 501c3 just for these families. And there's about, I don't know, I think uh, maybe 1,900, 1,500 families in District 3. So that's a 
positive in all of this, and I do not want the mayor to move these families. We can talk about that in this crazy 60-day uh, kick-out-the-families idea. It's nuts. But to, uh, to be specific about your question, there is a, um, a proposed um, school. It's just a school building that was owned by Calhoun. They sold it to a private developer. The private developer either called the Department of Homeless Services or the Department of Homeless Services called him. He's apparently very well known to them. Um, and said, we would like a shelter at this location. So I say, this is a school building. Just understand that. It is not an SRO. It is not a dorm. So it has to all be, and it's in a historic district, it has to all be renovated inside to go from school building to residential. And I feel strongly that this would be a good example, instead of making it a shelter, make it permanent housing. Because in the end, um, that's what you need. Now, it's, it's, the city always says, oh, we need more shelters. I say you build more affordable housing, then you might not need as many shelters. So that's a debate that we're having. Uh, it's, it's like everything else in America, it's a long story. This is in a um, historic district that has to go before Landmark Preservation Commission, and it's doing that on Tuesday to make some changes to the facade and to the back. Um, but I would hope that we are able to prevail. There are This developer is doing negotiations with other buildings in the five boroughs to do the same thing. And I think we should all be working together, which I hope we will, to say, slow down, build supportive housing. So, Gail, um, coming up soon, in the next week or two, the mayor is expected to uh, issue his uh, preliminary budget already. He, he's implemented the first of three cuts to eliminate the budget gap. Um, we uh, asked him about this earlier this week on WBAI, about what we can expect. Uh, let's listen first to what he said, and then I'd like your reaction. Let's play that clip. What we do know is that we have a $12 billion hole in our budget. And, you know, as a former council person, uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, that you can respect that, you know, a $12 billion hole in the budget where you only have 30-something billion dollars that you can really move around out of the $106 billion budget that we have. And so every delivery of service in the city is going to be impacted, everything from police to trash pickup, some of the great services we put in place in our school system to older adults that we want to continue to support. This is going to impact every delivery of service in our city. And it is, it is really troubling uh, that our cities and other cities across America are going through this national problem uh, at this magnitude. So, Gail, we'd like your reaction to that, especially also uh, what your hopes are or expectations are for the budget plan that the mayor is going to be releasing. Well, the mayor is right, although he didn't say it now. He said it many times. We do need federal funding, and he's absolutely right about that. But this is a funny year because, yes, he's going to be having his announcement of his preliminary budget, but that would be the budget for, believe it or not, June and July. So at the same time, for the first time ever that I know, we haven't finished the, what we call the November MOD budget. The city council has until a couple more weeks to say to the mayor, we like it, we don't like it, 
we want to make some changes. So that's the November mod with the cuts that you just talked about. At the same time, the mayor in January, because it could be a January mod, there's a proposal for the, you know, he talked about the cuts. The 5% cuts for the November mod is what he proposed. Then another 5% for the January, which is still to be discussed. And then, as you suggested, another 5% for whatever we were proposing for what we would consider just usual budget discussion would take place uh, between now and July 1st. It's, it's complicated for the public to understand, but it's scary. My answer, you know, is the city council is negotiating, is discussing, but my answer for November and for January and for the budget that begins July 1st is that you, you really have to be careful not to cut super core services. And everybody might have a, you know, a discussion, whether it's education, composting, clubhouses, mental health. In the November plan, the cut does include police, fire, and sanitation. In the January plan, those three agencies are not getting any cut at all. And interestingly enough, Department of Transportation is not getting any cut because we were told they, you know, uh, have a lot of revenue from, I thought this was kind of strange, red light cameras and speed cameras. I thought that was weird because Department of Finance, they get money from the property tax. So mm. supposedly revenue enhancing agencies get less cut. All of this to say the other piece of the pie or the other side of the coin is what is the revenue? So the you know city council will say there's a billion and a half more per year than what the mayor says. IDO tends to agree with this as independent budget office. Then you have other fiscal entities, citizens budget commission. The issue is how much is coming in, and you know I don't know this at the moment, but obviously December 31 was very recent. People owe taxes, they owe money, and that should be a higher number. Then if you have a higher revenue, you can say to the mayor, listen, we have, I'm making this up, another couple billion dollars, so we don't have to cut. Again, I'm making this up. Education, composting, clubhouses, and other things that people are so concerned about, cultural, libraries. That's the, the overview of what's going on, and it's not a pretty picture. I, I want you to know, but I want you to say there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because I think there's much more revenue than what the mayor says. So we have only, we've got about four or five minutes left. A lot of topics we wanted to get to. There is one I, uh, that I definitely wanted to make sure we asked you about, which is what's going on with vending on our bridges because new rules took effect that ban vending from our city's 789 bridges and including the Brooklyn Bridge, that that has gotten the most attention. The mayor says it's not only a sanitary issue, having these vendors there, it's a public safety issue. You felt the measure could have been relaxed a bit, if I'm correct, and the mayor apparently disagreed. I'd love for you to let our listeners know your position on this. Since it was dangerous, I had many cousins visiting over the holidays, you know, big, tall, 20-something um, girlfriends in tow. And they went to the bridge because they're not from New York. They were scared. Uh, these are, you know, people who uh, normally hear nothing. So they turned back because it was too crowded. And, you know, God forbid you need one incident and people could be trampled. So they left. I think it was dangerous. And I have no problem with saying, okay, we got to make a change here. And of course, they could have 
been instituting and doing all the kinds of uh, oversight that one should do. But in any case, I think it's good that there isn't any um, danger at the moment. My belief, and it's not that I have the answer, but I do think there is a compromise here. And the compromise needs to be include, you know, how many feet that the individuals who are vending stay apart. They can only vend where there's enough space. Sometimes it's only five feet. That would not be a place to vent. Sometimes it's 16 or 18 feet. And there shouldn't be any vending at the entrances. So I say that we have a bill to have stakeholders and individuals who are interested in the topic have a say about it and then sit down working with the administration and with others and come up with a compromise. I think there's a compromise to be made here. And I know we've only got about two, three minutes left. I need to ask you a question because of where I saw you um, on the Upper West Side a few months ago at the rally to support the preservation of the landmark West Park Presbyterian Church. On the Upper West Side, we have had Mark Ruffalo, one of the supporters of keeping the church as it is, um, you know, on the show, on WBAI to discuss this. But from what I know from your newsletter, which everyone should sign up for, by the way, because I get a lot of information from that each week, there's a vote coming up on this next week, if I'm correct, by the Landmarks Commission. Tell our listeners briefly what could happen next week and what your vision is for the future of this site. I actually landmarked when I was in the city council in the 2000s, and it is now uh, not in as bad repair as some of the developer will think there's a developer and the Presbytery, which is the overarching organization for the churches and the city that are Presbyterian. They want to tear it down and bring um, high-income condo to the space. And, of course, it's a landmark, very well-known architect, beautiful church. We do not want that to happen. So we have a vibrant, um, and, and Mark Ruffier has been phenomenal, but he knows there's a vibrant coastal center in there. There's a church. It's not the original church, but there's a church there every single Sunday with tons of members. And the place is hopping in terms of activities. Um, so we want to keep the hardship application. We want it to go away. Hardship would be it's such a hardship. We have to tear it down and build the housing that I just described. So Tuesday at 9.30 a.m., the Landmarks Preservation Commission is having a hearing. After many, many hearings, they should be voting at this time. Should we demolish the church or should we give the opportunity to a nonprofit to purchase it and to continue it as a part church and part cultural organization. Um, needless to say, I've been working on this for about 20 years, and I feel very strongly um, that it should continue with the cultural and the fact that we can, with Mark Ruffio and other celebrities and others who have been so supportive in the last uh, six months, we would be able to purchase it, get rid of the overhanging scaffolding, fix up the roof, and have our wonderful West Park Presbyterian Church there forever. And Councilmember Gail Brewer, before we let you go, just one more question we wanted to sort of jam in here about something else you've been working on. You work with the Technology Committee, and you've had some concerns uh, for a while now about the city's efforts with data collection. Now, this is supposed to be to improve services, but, you know, interested to hear um, what you'll be looking at on that this session. Uh, anything that you think people should really be watching out for or understand about why this affects them personally? 
important. And I obviously, uh, again, when I was in the council before, I created a law that said that all data that the city compiles, whether it's uh, from the Department of Social Services or from the police department, has to go into a platform, and that open data is available to the public. This is the problem. The problem is that, for whatever reason, there isn't always a real-time collection, as there's supposed to be. Um, you know, data is only as good as what is collected. So there's a group called Beta NYC, which is a wonderful nonprofit that uses the data and helps uh, nonprofits and community-based organizations know how to use the data. And they are, in, you know, as an example, saying it doesn't, the people who are in charge of it are not keeping it up to date as it should be. So, you know, we're, the data that is available for the city has to be published. Uh, by law, but also because otherwise you don't have transparency. Um, I could go on and on about how some of this data, for instance, that the migrant contracts are not as visible as they should be. That is an example where that data is not as readily available. People are very concerned. Why is the material not available? So specifically answer your question, there's an open data platform. It needs to be more updated. It needs to have more real time. More attention needs to be paid that open data. Councilmember Gail Brewer, we're always happy to have you here on the program. We always wish we had more time, but if people want to find out more about you and what you're working on, where can they look? Email gbrewer at council.nyc.gov. Phone number is 212-873-0282. And we're on all social media, Gail A. Brewer. But more importantly, just go to the website, the Brewer City Council, and as uh, the wonderful uh, Jeff indicated, sign up for our newsletter, which it really is fabulous. Wonderful. Councilmember Gail Brewer, thank you so much for being here with me and with Jeff today on Driving Forces. We look forward to having you back soon. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with the incomparable Jeff Simmons. Jeff, that was a very interesting conversation. I always think Gail Brewer has a lot of interesting things to say. She's just somebody who knows the city, knows the landscape of the city, knows all the Byzantine complexities of government and is is still at it, still at it. Yeah, I mean, when I first moved to New York City, sometime around then, I'm trying to think how far back that was, she was one of the people I had met and I had covered for some time. She was my council member on the Upper West Side, just followed her career. Also, I work with a number of nonprofits, as our listeners know, and I see her just showing up at a lot of their events, very supportive of their causes. So as Celeste mentioned, you are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're going to take a short break now. And then your calls, by the way, and the number, by the way, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We're going to take a short break now and leave you with Aiden Bissett's communication. Again. Communicate. 
Welcome back. Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Just listening to Communication by Aiden Bissett. He sings Talk to Me, and that's what we want from you this half hour. We want you to talk to us about what's on your mind. Give us a call, 212-209-2877-212-209-2877. We have it on reliable information that the phones are up, open, and working for a change. 212-209-2877. I'm sorry, Celeste, what's the number? It's 212-209-2877. It's the pause, Jeff. It's the pause. (laughs) So folks, if you're wondering what we want to hear from you about, it is about affordability in the city. I mean, this is the first show of the new year, so you can weigh in on anything that's on your mind today. But I mean, Gail Brewer is talking about affordability in the city when it comes to permanent housing and sheltering the asylum seekers. But there's other news that's been out there this week that we want to hear from you about. We want to know about your perception of crime in the city. And the reason we're bringing that up is because a report just came out, I think it was yesterday, Celeste, um, that came out from the NYPD that noted uh, where we've seen increases and decreases. And the city did see big drops in things like shootings and murders, robberies, burglaries, sexual assault, and grand larcenies. All of these are major crimes. But not just New York City seeing this. Other areas, other big cities like Philadelphia, L.A. also saw drops. Eric Adams, our mayor, says this shows, maybe this is when it's going to get you to call us, this shows that New York City has been making progress in improving public safety and increasing the perception that New York is safe. Do you agree with that? Do you not? Do you disagree with that? Call us at 212-209-2877. And to repeat myself, 212-209-2877. Do you feel safe in the city? Do you feel we're getting to be a safer city or... 
or you feel nervous every time you walk out the door and you're headed to public transit or just walking on any streets, let us know. We'd love to hear from you at 212-209-2877. I mean, this is our first show of the year. It's not like we don't have an entire year ahead of us minus, what, four days to of things to talk about. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. You know, Jeff, I give the number a lot because New Yorkers are busy. They're on the go. They're multitasking. They probably have like multiple phones. They got the computer, TV, radio, all these things. You know what? I think it's fair to give people a break. 212-209-2877. We want to hear from you. Welcome back to the wonderful world of driving forces in this new year. We are going to go to the phones, but in case you missed the number, 212-209-2877. Going to take our first caller right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you call from? McPherson, Bronx, New York. Happy New Year, Celeste, and Happy New Year. I would have said if anybody was going to wish us, be the first to wish us a happy new year, it would be you, Daryl. Happy new year. What is on your mind today? Uh, my, what's on my mind is my mind. Um, first of all, to the to the listeners, um, we're having trouble with our calling system because while you were saying the number over and over, um, I was going to wait off before I called. However... I did call, and there was a long delay before there was a connection, and I was very surprised when uh, your excellent engineer, Reggie uh, Johnson, said that I was number one. So I want folks to get out there. We need not $1 million, but $5 million for the station so that we can get equipment and we can think about paying our producers something. Now, along that line, um, I believe last year I raised over $60 in search alone using Good Search with WBAI as my, um, as my cause of choice. And so what I'd like, um, what I'd like to do is get someone to do a story on, um, on uh, JJ and uh, Ken, oh come on! I'm forgetting the names of the people who who founded Good Shop and Good Search, and um, so that oh the other thing is is that well Daryl hold on one second for people who might just be joining us for the first time here and are not familiar just tell everybody out there what it is what is Good Search so they know what they're looking at right. Good Search is a search engine powered by Yahoo, uh, which is connected to a larger um, fundraising entity for nonprofits and schools called Good Shop, and it's Rambergs. Ken and JJ Ramberg founded it because they wanted to do a, a fundraising for their daughter uh, to who had a disease, and they wanted to do fundraising for the hospital. And then they found that it was good straight across for all nonprofits and schools. Um, is is that good, Celeste? Yeah, no, that's that's very helpful. Thank you, Daryl. Go ahead, please. Right, and once again, the it's very simple. You register by going to Good Shop. Uh, the registration is a, a email address, and you create a password. And that's it. If you wanted to shop at Macy's, rather than going directly to Macy's, you go to Good mm. Shop. 
www.macy's.com and find Macy's, and they would give a percentage of your shopping to the cause of your choice. So, Daryl, maybe since since I, so I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but since you are, in fact, our greatest spokesperson, why do you think people should go through any trouble at all, even something easy to support the station? Because we're going to be talking about that in the rest of this hour. Why do you have, you know, such warm feelings in your heart for WBAI? Why should other people get on the train with you here? Unlike most radio stations which are purely entertainment with a minimum uh, engagement by the listeners. WBAI is totally focused on bringing information to the listeners would would find hard-pressed to find anywhere else. So, for instance, the interview that you just did with, with Councilwoman Gail Brewer, who was former borough president of um, Manhattan, Gail Brewer, the 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 way that um, you and Jeff enga- were able to engage with her, and um, hopefully in some point we can ask the producers to allow us in on the conversations at the end. You, you it's a totally different way to get access to both political and spiritual leaders that occurs uh, only on WBAI in the New York City area. So um, that that's, that's my engagement. My engagement is to change minds by allowing people to understand the power they, they have as individuals. And I think Gail Brewer is an excellent example of how a person formulates an idea and then is able to process it and then get people to join with her, with, with Gail to, to uh, execute and, and make the, the life that you live a, a better experience. Let me just throw this in because I've been on a real long time. 100 billionaires live in New York City. The, the richest of them that I could find was Michael Bloomberg, which is $96.3 billion, source wow. Forbes real-time billionaires. Do you think that we could have the city council, uh, the, um, I'm thinking, ombudsman, the public advocate, someone approach mm-hmm. these people and begin to address the challenges of the city in a different funding way in the context that they would make more money if the children of the city were educated, if the police bill goes down because there are programs, and if there's competent housing. What do you think? I mean, look, you raised some very good points, and uh, you know, you're talking about a billionaire or former mayor, you know, and one of the big issues we constantly uh, hear about is that for most, you know, very few people have riches like him, but here in New York City, it becomes much less affordable for people who a decade ago or maybe two decades ago felt that they were not only surviving, but thriving. So affordability is going to be a key issue. Daryl, we're going to let you go, but I want to ask you something. I'm going to turn the tables on you for one second. You're like the guest this half hour. Very, very briefly, who is Daryl McPherson? Because Celeste and I love hearing from you, but we know nothing about you. So tell our listeners, because they regularly hear from you. Daryl McPherson is a believer that through knowledge, 
one can gain sanity and insanity fulfill the purpose of the individual, which is to form active uh, units to accomplish tasks to make the experience of living um, agape, which is Greek for love, without expectation. That's very poetic. I was a former... Uh, I retired from the communications field. I worked for New York Telephone, Bell Atlantic, and finally Verizon. Um, I was in the military for 20-something years. Um, no, it was, I'm sorry, seven years. Um, I was very active uh, in my street days with the um, apartheid, anti-apartheid programs. I did some other things, and I really loved working down at BAI helping out. So um, we need to restore the, the city's health so that we can restore our um, ability to have volunteers. However, folks, we still need a minimum of $3 million because there's absolutely two people are running a 24-hour uh, hour radio station in New York City. That's unsustainable so we need more listeners and therefore the money will flow from the information that we were able to get to them and I suggest almost everyone who has the $200 get the Brett Michael Phillips uh, premium or the uh, Deborah Brangelson's premium so that we're able to get more money into that station because it's key and essential if we want to have the New York that uh, people talk about living in. I definitely hear you. And I think that I want to thank you so much always for listening to the program and for calling in. And I think that basically everybody who's listening to this program and everybody else in New York should resolve to be much more like Daryl McPherson in the years ahead. So, Daryl, thank mm-hmm. you so much for your call. Thanks for listening. Prosper and think about interviewing the Rambergs because we need more models like that so that we could raise more. If all if all the nonprofits united and worked just once again just through um, the good search at, at a penny a search, one million searches, ten thousand dollars. How many children in the New York City school system? One million or so. Mm-hmm. So every time a child did a search, I mean, every child does a search, that's $10,000 for the system. And we could definitely, definitely use that money. But thank you so much, Daryl. Really appreciate it. And we will will keep up your your work here of fundraising for WBAI. Thanks again for calling. Prosper in the new year. Thank you. So you are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. He's Jeff Simmons. And we both want you to give money to this station. Okay. So we, last year, maybe we went a little easy on you. Okay. Maybe. You know why? Because we're nice people. We're nice people who volunteer for this radio station. And we don't want to be working everybody over for money every single week asking you how much do you spend on a you know a cup of coffee every day or you know what what would you do with that loose change in in the uh sofa cushions if you didn't send it to wbai now we're not playing 
Okay. Now we're not playing. This station is in big trouble. Big trouble. Aside from the fact that we have to pay $17,000 a month on, uh, tower rental fees to be able to broadcast our signal throughout the New York City metro area. We have a lot of other expenses. We have, you know, a station to maintain. We have lots of things that we have to pay for and do just to stay on the air. Okay. You, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. New York City is not cheap. We need your help. Please go to WBAI.org. Give whatever you can. The best thing would be if you can give uh, as a BAI buddy to Driving Forces, make a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose, any amount you choose. Just make that commitment to this station. Please help keep free speech radio alive in New York, WBAI.org. And I believe we have another caller on the line. We're going to get to that call. We've got about three minutes left. Let's bring that person on. Welcome to WBAI. I'm sorry we're going to have to keep this segment short, but we wanted to get you on. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Briefly tell us your name and what's on your mind. I'm here. I'm here. Hey, go ahead. This is Charles Martin calling from Bitmans Park. And it seems that your guests took up all the time. So the idea is that what I heard on your show is that the city of New York, rather the federal government, isn't going to invest any money in their citizens. They're not building any more housing for their citizens because they said it isn't lucrative. But as far as WBAI goes, I try to send you guys some money, and they will not send me a voucher. So the idea is that that's that. So now the money is gone, and it's a wonderful station. And uh, what I want to say is that you guys took up a lot of time with your guests, and your first guest, you took up so much time. You should have asked them, could they make it brief? Anyhow, uh, thank you for listening to my uh, conversation, and uh, Happy New Year to WBA. Happy New Year. Money. Happy New Year, hope and we hope... We hope you continue to tune in, and we uh, have some other guests coming up in the next few weeks where uh, we've asked them if they can also take listener calls, so stay tuned for that. We'll be announcing them in the next uh, week or two, but thank you so much for tuning in. I know we're going to have to wrap up before very I, shortly. Before I let you go, I want to say that I'm a singer, and uh, I heard you guys had a, a, a performance uh, studio somewhere that I was going to, I got my nieces and nephews and cousins and friends whose dancers to do something at WBAI and could have raised some money. But the idea is that they never got back to me. Never did. Never did. And this, okay, uh, so if you if you want to if you want to send an email, you can send an email to me, Celeste C E L E S T E at WBAI. Dot O-R-G, or you can send one through the website wbai.org. And we, I'm sorry that if we missed if we missed your messages or your concerns, and I wish we had more time, but we will be uh, happy to hear from you, Celeste at wbai.org. And thanks again for calling. Really appreciate it and appreciate your support, Jeff. And we're going to have to wrap it about a minute or two. Just want to let you know that, uh, or first of all, I want to thank our guest, New York City Council member Gail Brewer, also Reggie Johnson for his stellar work engineering the show, and our listeners who call in, including Daryl, 
Uh, and our last caller, I just, sorry, I forgot your name a second ago, but just want to thank you so much for giving us a call and for tuning into Driving Forces each week, Thursdays at five o'clock. I will be back this Sunday morning at 8 a.m. with another episode of City Watch. We'll surprise you with our guests. Okay, folks, it's the first week of the year. I'm moving slowly. I'll have them booked tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to today's edition of Driving Forces. And as we kick off this first episode of 2024, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you for tuning into Driving Forces. As Celeste has noted as well, your support is what fuels this station and this show. And we are excited to embark on another year of insightful conversations and community engagement, including more listener phone calls. So whether you are a longtime listener or you are just discovering us, we invite you to make Driving Forces a regular part of your weekly routine. So join us on Thursdays at this time, whether you are on the road or you're in public transit, because we're streaming live at WBAI.org, we will continue to delve into the issues that shape our city, country, and world, and your perspectives, your stories, and your input make this show truly special. So Here's to an incredible year ahead. Thank you so much for being a vital part of the Driving Forces community. We, and when I say we, I mean me and Celeste and everyone at WBAI care about you. And so that's why also Celeste wants to make sure if you've missed the show, we, she, she's responsible for this because she knows technology a lot better than me. She uploads every one of our programs to SoundCloud, Apple, and Stitcher so you can subscribe and never miss a show. And make sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook where we announce our guests each week. So for that, for that, on that note, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the radio next time. <laughs>